So he's kind of stopped, te uh, stopped teaching and such. So we see uh, just amazing power. He's, he's the king, um, and he's been showing us that by calming ferocious storm, uh, uh, you know, casting out an unstoppable army of demons, um, setting a man free. So Jesus has power over our greatest enemies. Now these are things, aren't they? So storms of life and demons, that kind of thing, they, they sit uncomfortably with us. Um, we, we know that they're not quite meant to be part of this world, and yet we, we face them. We, we, we face these things in everyday life. And this week we see uh, the greatest enemy that we face. We see death. This is our greatest enemy because death is final. So, you know, the storms of life, they, they come and go. Uh, Satan and, and demons, they're, they're at work, but often in subtle ways. But, but when death comes, life ends. And there is loss and pain that just, you, you can't sort that, you can't fix that. You know, storms of life might, might wear us down, uh, and Satan may cause us to stumble, but, but death finishes us, it, it defeats us. Life ends. And so you see, whilst death does sit uncomfortably with us, it's awkwardly, doesn't it? We, we, we know that there's something horrible about it. Actually, it's more than that. It, it fills us with fear. We, we fear death. We fear our greatest enemy. So we fear death as we, we face it in others. <clears throat> it's awful, it's absolutely terrible uh, to lose someone, to lose someone that we've shared life with, uh, someone that was part of us, something no longer with us. Um, and I think that pain is magnified when you don't expect it, when you don't expect to lose that person. Now, we fear that loss, we, we panic at the thought of it, we try to prevent it, um, so we want to kind of wrap our loved ones up in cotton wool. And, you know, if we, if we are faced with that loss, we, we clutch at straws, anything for it not to be true. I guess that's why uh, funerals are so often called celebrations of life. Uh, now, because we don't want to talk about death. Yeah, we don't want to admit it. Uh, we don't want to recognise that loss. I saw this, I went to a funeral a while ago, a non-Christian guy, a non-Christian family, and they read this poem that went like this. It said, Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there, I do not sleep. I am the thousand winds that blow. Do not stand by my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not That's what they wanted to believe. That this guy hadn't, somehow, hadn't really died. You know, we, we, we fear the death of others. And I think we fear the death of others partly because we fear it ourselves. You know, we fear our own end. So, you know, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? In the, in the storm, disciples are in the storm, they're in the boat, and the waves come crashing in. And do you remember what they said? They said, uh, that they cried out, um, don't you care, this is the same to Jesus, don't you care if we drown, if we die? 
See, even in the storms of life, it's not the storms that we fear. Actually, it's, it's our own life that we fear the loss of. And beyond that, it's not just that we fear death in the storms. We, we, we fear death daily, I think. We fear death every day. I think this is increasingly the case. I, personally, that, that's, you know, that, that's how I feel. So I, I don't know how, how you felt when you, when you heard about uh, or you saw that, that, that truck kind of um, accelerating down the road um, in, in Nice. Um, but I guess one of the thoughts, you know, the, one of the reasons that's so sobering is because it could happen to us. We could so easily face that kind of thing. It, it fills us with, with dread, with fear. Just as we go about our daily lives. Now, I don't think we, we get up every morning, we, we think to ourselves, oh no, I, I, might, I, might, uh, I might die today. I didn't think that this morning. Instead, what we do is we seek security <clears throat> to prevent it. So we, we might stop travelling places we might stop going to public events, but much more subtly, we seek security in jobs and possessions and relationships. And it's not, not wrong to have those things, but the way we strive for them, the way we build them, shows that actually we don't want this life to come to an end. You know, if we just surround ourselves with stuff, if we, if we just have something to stand on, then surely we'll live. The great irony of that, of course, is that when death comes, those things go. You know, it might feel like you've got something to stand on. But look, the reality is that in 100 years' time, every single person in this room will be dead. And We won't be standing on those things. Yeah, let's, let's be honest. The, the reality is, deep down, is we, we fear death. And so, we need this passage this morning. We, we, we desperately need it because it tells us that the Jesus that we've been looking at is such a great king that he has power even over our Jesus has power over death. We see this in a man who, who, who faced death himself. His daughter's life is coming to an end. And he meets Jesus. And he learns that only he, only Jesus, has power over death. Only he can really give us the security of all of only he can give us life. And so as we look at him, the question is, do we trust him? Do, do we trust Jesus with our lives? Our lives that will come to an end. Three things for us to see. Firstly, a personal plea for life. Personal plea for life. So much of the action that we've seen in Mark's Gospel has been, has been happening around the lake. And um, uh, verse 21, Jesus crosses the lake once again. He's kind of going to and fro. 
and a, a large crowd gathers round him, and a man comes uh, to Jesus. Have a look at him in verse 22. Uh, that's where we meet him. Verse 22. Uh, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, just a couple of things there. This guy is a synagogue ruler, a synagogue leader. The synagogue would have been a place where the Jewish people uh, met to worship God. So a bit like this is where, you know, we, one sense we meet here to, to worship God every Sunday. Um, this would have been Jewish people, and the synagogue leader is in charge of things like organising services, scripture readings, and prayers, organising the preaching later. He would have done the maintenance for the building, security for the building. That's a long way of saying that this guy has a lot of responsibility. And the community at the time would have really respected him because of what he did. Uh, he's also well known, isn't he? Because he's referred to here by name, Jairus. But that, that doesn't normally happen in Mark's Gospel. These people kind of appear and they meet Jesus and they disappear. And we, we don't know who they are. But this one we do. His, his name is Jairus. He's well known. So you see, Jairus has some status. He has things going for him. He has some security behind him. And here he falls at Jesus' feet and he pleads with him. It's a, it's a personal plea. Have a look at verse 23. Have a look at what he says. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Can you imagine that? Yeah, his daughter's life, his little daughter's life, is coming to an end. Death is knocking at her door. And he he's desperate, he goes to Jesus. Jesus has gained the reputation as being a healer. And so he wants Jesus to do just that. He wants us to, to lay his hands on him and, and heal her. Uh, he's, of course, he's afraid that she's going to die. So he gives this desperate, personal plea for life, for her life. And you know, at this point, I just want to say that it's okay to do that. It's okay for Jairus to do this. So what happens? Jesus doesn't reject Jairus. He doesn't tell him this is a ridiculous thing to ask for. He doesn't say you can't do this. Verse 24, do you see what he does? He goes with him. Jesus goes with him. He displays a willingness. He, he responds. I think he has the intention of going to heal this, this daughter. And so it's okay to ask for this. Uh, here at Christchurch Campbell, we, we have, a, as I've already said, we have an opportunity for questions. And, and uh, uh, following the sermon a couple of weeks ago, we, we'd seen Jesus' power, and um, I think it was... Um, uh, Megan, who, who said, um, how should we pray like this? You know, should we only ever pray for faith in difficult times? You know, that we just trust God more? Or is it okay that we, we pray for circumstances to change? Now, look, that's a great question. It's a really good question because in a church like this one, I think we can be wary of asking for our circumstances to change. We, we're wary of praying for healing. Now, that's right on one level. So if you read all the prayers in the New Testament, like Paul's prayers, you would see that actually 
rarely, if ever, does he pray for circumstances to change. But that's exactly what you have Jairus asking for here. Jairus is pleading that Jesus would allow his daughter to live. It's okay to do that. You know, if, we're, we're, if we're afraid of losing someone, it's okay to ask that we might not lose them. It's okay for, for us to ask if they will live. It's exactly what we, um, we read in this, uh, this book. Um, uh, this is the book Paul Mallard. Um, it's called Investor Suffering. Can I say this is a great book? If, if you wanted to read uh, this, let me know. I'll get you a copy because uh, I can wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, but basically, it's a book about suffering. It's about what the Bible says about suffering. But what he does, as he writes about that, Paul Mallard also tells us the story of how his wife suffers. Uh, so a few years have come into ministry, him and his wife are in their 30s, and she was diagnosed with this long-term illness. And it looked as if it would kill her at one point. And what he does is he recounts how he pleads with Jesus for her life. He says this, I'd never thought about death before. I remember praying, please let me have her a little longer. The kids need their mum. I need my wife. Please don't take You will be faced with that at some point. And what Jairus shows us is that there's so, so much good about this life that we can enjoy that it's okay to ask Jesus for life now. It's okay to do that. And as Jairus does that, Jesus goes with him. And what we see next is a public restoration of life, a public restoration of Second thing we see, public restoration of life. So Jesus and Jairus head off, and we witness this restoration of life. But you see, it's not the one that we would expect. You'd expect him to go and just heal the girl. It doesn't quite happen like that. So as they go, what happens is a crowd is kind of stuck to them, and they're kind of pressing around Jesus. And Mark just zooms in on this one person, sings out this one person, and to our surprise, it's a new character. It's not Jesus, not Jairus. Have a look at verse 25. Uh, a woman was there. Verse 25, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. That's her situation. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. That's a terrible way to suffer, but there's more to it than just the bleeding. So uh, the Bible tells us, Leviticus tells us, that this woman would have been unclean because of that situation. So she would not have been able to go to the temple. No one would have been allowed to touch her. Uh, she would have had no friends. She was an outcast, and she was cut off from God. And she had tried everything to sort this out. Have a look at verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. The woman's situation is hopeless. I don't know if you noticed, but you see, she, unlike Jairus, she doesn't have a name. She has no name. She has no money because she spent it all. She has no status. She has no way of getting better. She has no access to God. This woman is effectively dead. She's tried everything. She's like a, a, a shattered kind of window where all the glass is in bits over the floor and, and 
she tries and others have tried to kind of piece, pick them up and piece them back together, but it just, it just never works. She's just always in bits. And her situation really is, is no better than the girls. Her life is at an end, but she's part of this crowd that are walking with Jesus. And, and she sees, as part of the crowd, she sees one last hope. Have a look at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. You see, with a touch, no one else could, but with a touch, Jesus puts her back together. Jesus restores her. It's an amazing miracle. And you could kind of leave it there and just think, wow, amazing. Jesus is amazing. But Jesus then stops because he wants to meet this woman. Have a look at verse 30. That once Jesus realized that power had gone from him, and he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, the disciples are baffled. Jesus doesn't need to be doing this. He, he, you know, he doesn't need to meet this woman. She's, she's healed. They say to him, Look, can't you see there's this crowd around you? They're, they're the people who are touching you. Why are you asking? You can ask, Who touched me? But you see, they don't see, they don't know what this woman has done. They don't know what Jesus has done to this woman. And Jairus doesn't know either. And Jesus wants to meet her. The crowd has stopped and he keeps looking around so that he can make her restoration public. Have a look at verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The crowd has stopped and Jesus declares this. Everyone knows, everyone there now knows that her touch was an act of faith. Everyone now knows that she's been accepted by, as the Son of God, uh, by the Son of God as a daughter. Everyone knows that in a situation where she had no hope, where she couldn't do anything, where she's effectively dead, everyone now knows that she's been restored. Everyone knows. Jesus has stopped, he's asked, he's looked, and now he publicly declares the woman's faith has restored her. It's a public restoration. That's great, isn't it? For her. But it's tragic for Jairus. Because have a look at what has happened in this time. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader, and said, your, your daughter is dead. You see, all this has been happening around, and now for Jairus, his world comes crashing down. He's a man who had respect, status, part of the Jewish religious system. He had hope that actually Jesus was going to get there and heal his daughter. And now Jesus has stopped and had this conversation and now his daughter's dead. He has no hope. He, he just has fear. Have a 
I think what Jesus says to him in verse 36. Overhearing what they says, what the people said to Jairus, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Only believe, is what he says. Only believe. And you see, suddenly you see why Jesus makes the restoration of this woman public. Because he wanted Jairus to see this woman. He wanted Jairus to see that for her, Jesus was the only thing left. Because the only left, only thing left for him now is Jesus. So he says, just believe. Just believe. What he's saying is have faith like the woman. Faith in nothing but him. <coughs> Even in the face of death. You see, it's not wrong for us to ask for a change of circumstances, to ask someone to live. But what we see here is that Jesus doesn't always answer that prayer. So even if he does for a period of time, eventually we will lose people that we love. Eventually we will face our own death. And we can have jobs and status. We can make a name for ourselves. We can build security. We, we, we can have a Jesus who heals, but eventually we'll have nothing in front of us apart from him. So you see, the question is, not so much, do we trust Jesus? You know, Jairus trusts Jesus in some way, doesn't he? Given the fact that death is a certainty, the question is, do you trust in Jesus only? Because actually, you see, if our trust is a spread amongst other things, Jesus is the He's, oh, he's great, he can, heal, he can heal people, but if we trust in, our trust is spread, we only ever ask for, for things to be okay, then actually the fear of death will just dominate us. <coughs> Instead we need to trust in Jesus alone. We need faith like the woman, as if he's the only thing left lives. Now look, I need to say, that doesn't mean that we don't grieve. See, so when Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's not saying, don't grieve. The Bible says that we're, we're, we're never not to grieve over death. Of course we grieve. That, that's normal. But we do so with hope. We do so trusting and the question is why? Why should we trust in Jesus alone? Because of the resurrection. This is the final thing we see, a private resurrection, private resurrection of life. Uh, resurrection, last thing we see. So having commanded Jairus to trust him, Jesus now heads off to his house, uh, but he's not going with the crowd. Okay, the crowd that were kind of pressing around with him. He, he wants this to be a private meeting as he walks into this house. Have a look at verse at 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. 
So he's got this small crowd of people around him, and when he arrives at the house, there are people crying and wailing at what's happened, just as you expect. And Jesus then says something extraordinary. Have a look at verse 39. He went in to the house and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now his point is not that she is sleeping and everyone has just completely misjudged the situation. The girl is dead. But Jesus says her death is temporary. She's going to wake up from this. Now, that sounds like madness. And that's what the people think. They, they don't trust Jesus' words. Verse 14, they laughed at him. So what does Jesus do? He puts them all out. He, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. So you see, this is a, this is a private meeting. What is Those people who think that Jesus' words are ridiculous... He has put out. And those who are trusting in him, he takes into the girl. And he shows them that though she really has died, her death really is like falling asleep. Have a look at verse 41. He took her by the hand and he said to her, to leave the coom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is not just a private meeting, it's a private resurrection of life. The girl is physically resurrected. She gets up, she walks around, she's given something to eat. Jesus displays his power over death in private. He puts some people out, he brings some people in to show them this, why does he do that? You know, it's such an amazing miracle. Why, why is it that it's kept private? Jesus wants us to see that this is the hope of the people who are inside his kingdom. Those who belong to Christ they will face death, but it will be like falling asleep. And when Jesus returns, we will know and enjoy physical resurrection. New bodies forever. No more sickness. No more death. And we can be absolutely certain of this. Because that's what Jesus has already done. He, he took our death and he, he, he swallowed it. And rose again. And lives forever. And so you see, for those who trust in him, the resurrection is, is certain. He wants us to see that it's for those inside his kingdom, they will be raised. Now, in light of that, whether you've never seen him before, or whether you've been following Jesus for years, can I say, please, trust in him alone. And keep trusting in him alone. Just believe. Only believe. If I can put it a different way, hold loosely 
in the things of this life. Hold loosely to what this world offers you. Because on the day that you face death, they won't offer you anything. Only Jesus has power over death. And as we trust in him, we not only gain life for eternity, but all our fears in this life are dealt with. Let's pray. Um, sorry to interrupt. Uh, any, any, if not, don't worry. That's fine. But, uh, any thoughts or questions or anything that you want to throw in? Anyone at all? Go on, Jimmy. When Jesus says, um, Why are you crying? Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks, Jimmy. So, um, yeah, his point is that, so, sorry, Jimmy's question is, um, just for the recording, uh, when Jesus says to the girl, she's only asleep, is that what happens to Christians as well? Is death like falling asleep, where we're kind of in this state of, am I right in thinking you're saying we're in this state of kind of unconsciousness, uh, and suddenly we just kind of wake up? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so, the I think when you die, you instantly go to heaven um, uh, in spirit, and you are aware of that, and you're with God uh, forever. And at the resurrection, you, you then gain your physical new body. So there's a physical resurrection later on. What I don't think happens is that we're sent to some kind of, um, when we die, we, we are in some kind of state of unconsciousness for a while. Um, I think the reason Jesus says here, the girl is asleep, is to just, just say, look, this is temporary. She'd actually, she, she's, she could wake up. Um, yeah. Uh, so it doesn't, what it doesn't do is tell us uh, this is not a pattern for the death of Is that okay? Do you, do you want to come back at that more? Any other questions at all? Or thoughts? Anything anybody wants to chip in? Oh, sorry, Tal. So, are you asking whether we can trust in Jesus' power without trusting in him? Or, sorry, go on. Yeah. 
Okay, I see. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so Tara's asking whether in Mark's gospel we see a distinction between, is, is there two types of faith, basically? One in Jesus and one in just Jesus' kind of ability to heal. Uh, I, I think they're one and the same. I, I think the, the, the thing is, we, healing is just never guaranteed. Um, so, uh, and we see that, don't we, with Jairus' daughter. So Jairus has asked for this kind of same thing. He said, yeah, I want you to make my, joy, my, my daughter better. It just, it just doesn't happen. And ultimately what he wants is for Jairus to trust him as the woman does. So he, Jesus is her, her, the only option that she's got left. He, she has to trust him completely. Um, and th that's, I guess that's what he wants from us. Um, and I guess that would mean that we trust him completely. That means that we don't just trust in his ability to heal. Actually, we, we trust in him as a person, regardless of what happens in our lives. Um, so even as we, we, as we trust in Jesus completely, even when there's tragedy, we keep trusting in him because that's who we trust in completely. Does, does that make sense? Um, yeah, that's not to say we don't agree, but, but, but that actually we just keep trusting that he, he is the king um, and he can effectively do what he likes. Sorry, Tal, does that help in any way? They're kind of different levels of faith. Um, I, I don't think so. Um, as in, you, you um, I don't think the Bible requires that of you. So it, it never says to you that you need to have you know, more or less faith. I guess you have faith in Jesus or, or you don't. Um, and I don't think, I think it's very dangerous to say, look, you will be healed or things will go well if you had more faith. I, I don't think that's, yeah, that, that's, that's not right. Um, what's, what's clear here is that, like, so I don't know about the people in the crowd, I don't know whether they're touching of Jesus is, is a, it doesn't tell us it's an act of faith, they're simply trying to follow him, they're, they're close to him. I, I think what's really clear is that um, Jairus doesn't have the kind of faith that the woman has. So it's not that she has more faith, it's that actually she doesn't, he doesn't trust him with life um, in the same way that she does. Do you know what I mean? So what he wants, what Jesus wants Jairus to see is that, that only he is worth trusting beyond death. Um, 
And that's the, you know, that, that is what we trust him with. Now, you know. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, her faith heals her. But it's the kind of faith that says, look, I've exhausted everything else here. And Jesus is my only hope. And, and that's the point, that, that he wants, he wants uh, Jesus wants us to have him as our only hope in life. Because actually, ultimately, he is. He is the only hope that we have. Because we're all going to die. Um, you know, not to put a down on things, but, you know, yeah, that, sorry, am I, am I making any kind of sense here? Um, so I don't think, I, what, what I don't want us to do is that we're not going to go away here and think, I must have, you know, I must muster up all this kind of faith, all this real, you know, uh, kind of trust in Jesus. It's actually, the, the bottom line is, do, do you trust him with, with your life rather than um, anything else? That, that's the point. I think the other thing that's worth saying is, look, the faith is not something we um, work for. It's given to us. So the Bible's really clear on that. Faith is a gift. Um, now, you can work your faith out. You, know, you, you, can, you can do certain things, behave in certain ways that are consequences of faith. But, but God is the one who gives that to you. Um, and so the whole thing here is by grace. Um, but if you've been if you've been given that, if you know Jesus, then the point is trust in trust in Him alone for, for your life and your death, because only He can raise you from the dead. Um, yeah, is, it, is that is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else? It's amazing to me that the disciples were in front of the Jesus casting out demons, casting out stones, you know, putting out the little bit of death. And yet, when their own personal lives were at risk, they did not do it. How can we maintain it? Or even though we lose all this, we lose all this, we take it all this, and so fascinating. When we are on faith with our own child, Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. So the question is, um, so what you've got here, the disciples have a, a front seat, basically, to what Jesus is doing. And yet, when, when the time comes where he's crucified, they scatter. And so uh, they're, they're kind of, you know, kind of useless. And even before that time, they're not, they don't follow him very well. You know, um, they're, they're, they're portrayed as kind of useless people. And these people who kind of come in and out uh, show the disciples what they ought to be doing. Show the disciples the kind of faith that they, they ought to have. And so Jimmy's question is, well, how do we not be like them, how do we keep trusting as disciples of Jesus? And I think there's two things to say. The first is that here they don't see him clearly. They haven't, their eyes have not been opened at this point. And even halfway through Mark, where they do see him as the king, they don't understand why he's got to die. So all the way through, they don't, they don't quite get what's going on until they receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to Jesus. Now, we have that, you know, if you trust in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, um, you can see him clearly, so you're kind of an advantage. At the same time, 
the disciples do show us, they do reflect our own dullness, our own slowness to trust and to do what's, what, what, you know, to follow Jesus well. And um, I would take that as encouragement, you know, I, I would take that as encouragement that even when you follow Jesus closely, you follow him the whole life, you've got your head in the Bible every day, actually, you know, you don't always get it right. And Jesus is so patient and gracious and loving. And uh, actually, you know, he's the one who makes you a disciple. He's the one who changes you and causes you to follow him. And so I wouldn't be surprised by our own dullness, our own slowness. In terms of how we're vigilant, I think we just need to um, you know, just keep looking at him prayerfully. Um, and I think that that's, that's the key. You know, it's not to try harder to follow him. It's to, it's to look at who he is and allow him to change you. Yeah. Does, does that help at all, Julie? Great. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's call it a day there. Let's sing.